plots and forget-me-nots Written by Guts and Glitter Read by Literarian Chapter 2 Oh, take me back to the start 1990 It was the children that Haziraphale had the hardest time with. It's easy to say she's in a better place and she's at peace now when you're talking about someone's 95-year-old grandmother. Less so when you're talking about a preteen girl who spent half of her life in a sickbed. The death of a child flips the known world onto its side, turns words of comfort into words of cruelty and torment. It's so fundamentally against nature that it tends to leave one feeling sick, as if suffering from some kind of uncanny existential motion sickness. Aziraphale knew he should have been ready for it. As soon as he received word that his student pastoral placement would be at St. Paul's Hospital, he had begun mentally preparing himself for offering spiritual counsel to grieving loved ones. He memorized appropriate quotations and rehearsed prayers for every occasion. He'd even gone so far as to practice them in front of a mirror just to make sure he didn't come off as condescending or detached. But really, no one could ever properly prepare themselves for watching a child struggle to pull a dying breath into her tiny, cancer-riddled lungs. The first time it happened, he felt paralyzed by shock and fear and sorrow, too useless to do anything besides stand off to the side dumbly while Gabriel performed her last rites. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. As soon as she was pronounced dead, Gabriel excused himself, leaving Aziraphale alone with the grieving parents. Everything happens for a reason, he'd told them. He knew it was true, or more accurately, knew they all needed it to be true, but the words still felt flimsy and hollow as they rolled off his tongue. The mother began to cry harder, but the father nodded solemnly, squeezing the well-worn set of rosary beads in his fist. After an agonizing hour of alternating between prayer and weak words of comfort, Aziraphale excused himself on the pretense of wanting to give the parents some time to themselves. He stepped out into the hallway, expecting to feel a wave of relief as soon as he shut the door behind himself, but somehow the hallway was even worse. The whole hospital reeked of illness and antiseptic. And everywhere he turned, there seemed to be another reminder of human frailty and mortality. A nurse pushing an elderly woman with an oxygen tank. A doctor reading over a patient's chart with a sorrowful look on his face. 
a frantic woman begging the receptionist to tell her where her husband was. He had never felt so small and powerless in his life. He all but ran for the exit, shoving the doors open with slightly more force than was strictly necessary, and blinked against the bright January daylight. It felt wrong for the sun to be shining, considering the events of the day. When a child dies a painful, agonizing death, one would expect for nature to pay its respects, for the sky to open up and weep upon the surrounding countryside. But in practice, that never seems to be the case, and that day the sun shone merrily on the hospital's half-empty car park. Still, the air was cool and free from antiseptic, and after a few deep lungfuls, he started to feel the frantic fog in his head begin to dissipate. You look like you're having a worse day than I am. Startled, Aziraphale turned and saw a man leaning against a cement pillar. He was tall and slender, with shoulder-length red hair and a battered leather jacket. Between the cigarette that was dangling from his left hand and the bored expression on his face, he should have looked devastatingly cool. However, the whole effect was somewhat marred by the white gauze wrapped around the crown of his head. Ah, no! Aziraphale said, trying to compose himself. Well, maybe. I'm not sure. It's just all a bit... much. The stranger smirked. Yeah, hospitals are like that sometimes. Aziraphale worried at his bottom lip. There's just so much hopelessness. I thought I'd be able to help more. You a doctor? Aziraphale shook his head. Priest. Well, priest in training. A seminarian. The stranger snorted. <laughs> and you thought you were going to be helpful? The only way your lot could be helpful around here is if you stayed the fuck away and let the actual doctors do their jobs. Aziraphale bristled. I beg your pardon? You heard me. Aziraphale felt hot, angry tears begin to prick at the corners of his eyes. He had just witnessed an unspeakable tragedy, the first in what would undoubtedly be a long line over the course of his career, and now this stranger felt the need to be hostile to him because of his faith? He wanted to cry, to scream, to lash out and say something equally devastating. But no, that wouldn't be right. The man had clearly suffered some kind of head injury. It was understandable that he might be a bit irritable and ready to pick a fight. And Aziraphale knew that showing compassion and forgiveness to non-believers was part of the job description, so he blinked back the tears and tried to offer a kind smile. 
he gestured towards the bandages wrapped around the man's head. May I ask what happened? I fell. Aziraphale blinked. From where? Off a roof. Was trying to take down the bloody Christmas lights and my foot slipped. The man took a deep drag of his cigarette and blew the smoke skywards in one long plume. Should you really be smoking after a traumatic brain injury? Aziraphale asked worriedly. That doesn't exactly seem wise. The man rolled his eyes, then winced as if the motion had pained him. He swallowed, then deepened his sneer. Listen, Padre, if I want medical advice, I'll ask a bloody doctor. If I want to start talking to an imaginary friend in the sky, you're my man. This time, he didn't even bother turning his head, but instead blew the smoke directly into Aziraphale's face. That's entirely uncalled for, Aziraphale cried, waving a hand in front of his face to disperse the smoke. I was just trying to be helpful. The man looked as if he was going to roll his eyes again, then thought better of it. Whatever he muttered, turning back towards the car park. Aziraphale was powerless against the tears this time. He spun around, unwilling to let the other man see how much his words had hurt him, and marched back into the hospital. He might have forgotten all about the encounter had he not run into the man again two weeks later. It had been another hellish day at the hospital, full of cruel examples of man's inhumanity to man, stabbings, beatings, cases of domestic violence. Even Gabriel, who was usually unflappable to an eerie degree, seemed shaken by it, and suggested they meet up with a few of the other seminary students and mentors at a nearby pub. Aziraphale was not overly fond of drinking, but he didn't think he could stand to be alone with his thoughts just yet, so he acquiesced. He regretted this decision almost instantaneously. The pub was noisy and overcrowded, filled with drunk university students celebrating the end of their exams, and right away he felt a headache begin to build just over his right temple. Gabriel made a beeline for a booth in the corner where the others were already congregated over several pitchers of beer. Aziraphale hated the taste of beer, so he dutifully made his way up to the bar in the hope that they might have a halfway decent selection of red wines. A gaggle of women who appeared to be out for a hen party were clustered around the bar, all ordering complicated fruity cocktails. 
Aziraphale patiently waited his turn and rubbed at his temples, hoping to assuage his headache. The music from the jukebox was far too loud, some awful type of bebop with a bass line that set his teeth on edge. He was so distracted by his own misery that he missed the fact that the hen party had moved and left a clear space for him in front of the bar. Oi, Bowtie, what are you having? Aziraphale jolted and looked up, only to see the rude man from the hospital standing behind the bar, impatiently tapping his fingers against the wood. He was wearing sunglasses, which was odd considering the fact they were indoors, and his russet hair was tied back in a ponytail, but other than that, it was unmistakably him. Aziraphale blinked several times. Oh, it's you. The bartender raised his eyebrows. Uh, sorry, have we met before? You yelled at me outside a hospital two weeks ago. The bartender grimaced. Sounds about right. Don't remember much from that week, but I'm sure I was an absolute prick. I'm sorry about that. Aziraphale was more than a little surprised by the apology, and very nearly flabbergasted by how earnest it sounded. He'd half expected another verbal assault, which would have been par for the course, what with the month he was having. Apology accepted, he said, and he was fairly certain that he meant it. Remind me what your name was again. I didn't give it before, but it's Aziraphale. The bartender stuck out his hand. Nice to re-meet you. I'm Crowley. Crowley's palm was warm and calloused, but his grip was surprisingly gentle. Aziraphale held on to it a moment longer than necessary, still stunned by this turn of events. To run into Crowley again while he was in a place to offer genuine contrition, just when Aziraphale felt like he was losing faith in humanity, seemed like too much of a coincidence. Not that he really believed in coincidences to begin with, since he knew that everything happened for a reason. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, I walked into this one, he thought as he released Crowley's hand. He ordered a surprisingly decent Syrah and went back to join his seminary cohorts, who were laughing about something Uriel had said. Over the course of the next hour, he snuck periodic glances at Crowley, unsure of what the divine significance of their re-meeting meant. From time to time, he tried to engage in his group's conversation, but Gabriel interrupted him every time, either to correct him on a point, which did not need correcting, or to shift the conversation in an entirely different direction. 
Finally, the din of the bar and the general unfriendliness of his cohorts got to be too much for him, and he excused himself, making his way through the crowd and back out the front doors. He was hit with a sharp burst of cold air, which served as a brutal reminder of the fact he had no coat. Still, he thought, it was preferable to the interior conditions of the pub. He hoped Gabriel would tire of talking soon, though historically speaking this seemed highly unlikely, so they could return to Allen Hall and he could curl up in his room with a nice book and a cup of cocoa. He stamped his feet and blew on his hands, though he knew he was going to be fighting a losing battle against the bitterly cold night. Long time no see. Aziraphale turned and was met with the déjà vu-inducing sight of Crowley leaning up against the exterior wall of the pub with a cigarette in one hand. Oh, hello again, Aziraphale said, offering a small smile. Taking a well-earned break from all the hustle and bustle? Nah, shift just ended, sort of. He made a broad, completely indecipherable hand gesture. Well, it will in an hour, but I think Huster's got everything under control in there. I'd just be slowing him down, really. Aziraphale pursed his lips, trying not to appear scandalized by the idea of shirking one's duties. How's the head? he asked. Fine. Great. Brilliant, really. Better than it was before. His words rang hollow, but Aziraphale did not push. He watched as Crowley lifted the cigarette to his lips and took a drag, transfixed by the man's long, surprisingly elegant fingers. They were an artist's hands, Aziraphale thought, nimble and dexterous, but no strangers to hard work. Crowley saw Aziraphale staring and fished a battered pack of cigarettes out of his coat pocket. Sorry, want one? Thank you, no, I don't smoke. Crowley nodded, returning the pack to his pocket. That's good, it's a filthy habit. Be ashamed to ruin that nice smile of yours. The compliment caught Aziraphale off guard. No one had ever complimented him on his smile before. His stomach fluttered in a delicate, unfamiliar way, and he looked down, suddenly very interested in his own shoes. He felt a strange pull towards Crowley, one that made him feel certain that there was some divine significance to their re-meeting. He just wasn't sure what that significance was or what he was supposed to do about it. After several moments of uneasy silence, Crowley changed the subject. Speaking of which, why are you hanging out with that priest? The one with all the teeth? Crowley took another drag of his cigarette and exhaled slowly. Comes in here a lot. Seems like a bit of a twat. 
never leaves a tip. This was the least surprising news Aziraphale had heard all day, and he fought back the urge to snicker. He's my mentor, he said, aiming for a polite and respectful tone. I'm a seminary student. You really don't remember anything from our first meeting, do you? Crowley shook his head. Fret not. To be fair, it's because I had a massive concussion, not because you're not memorable. Were his cheeks and ears not already pink from the cold, Aziraphale would have blushed. Instead, he locked his jaw, trying desperately to keep his teeth from chattering. Crowley looked him up and down. What happened to your coat? he asked. Aziraphale bit the inside of his cheek. The truth would certainly make Crowley laugh, but he didn't think he'd be able to muster a convincing enough lie. After too long a pause, he decided on honesty. Gave it away, he muttered. Crowley's eyebrows shot skyward. You what? I gave it away! Aziraphale wrapped his arms more tightly around himself. On our way over, there was a homeless woman who didn't have one, so I gave her mine. But now you don't have a coat. But now she does. Crowley opened his mouth to parry this, then seemed to think better of it. He wasn't laughing. If anything, the look he was giving Aziraphale could almost be described as charmed. Aziraphale shivered again, and this time his teeth did clack together audibly. Crowley stabbed out his cigarette and pointed to a small battered Volkswagen that was parked with one wheel on the curb. Get in. Aziraphale blinked. What? Get in. I'm giving you a lift home. Bad for business having a priest freeze to death in front of the pub. Crowley unlocked the car and opened the passenger side door. He held it open and tilted his head in invitation. I... Aziraphale shivered again. I only just met you. How do I know you're not going to murder me? Crowley shrugged. You don't. Guess you just have to trust me. Aziraphale hesitated for another moment, then slid into the passenger seat. He told himself it was the Christian thing to do, to think the best of everyone and trust that their intentions were noble. Plus, it was cold and it was a long walk back to Allen Hall. They rode mostly in silence, save for the staticky old queen tape that was playing. Aziraphale kept sneaking glances at Crowley, fascinated by the sharp contours of his profile and the way his hair seemed to glow every time they passed under a streetlight. Somewhere along the way, Aziraphale stopped shivering, 
though the car had no heater. All too soon they were pulling up outside the hall. Aziraphale fumbled with the door handle in the dark, and Crowley leaned across him to assist. For a few moments he was close, dangerously close. Close enough for Aziraphale to smell his cologne, something warm and spicy and altogether intoxicating. His breath caught in his throat, and another violent shiver racked his delicate frame. This time it had nothing to do with the cold. Crowley's hair was still tied back, and a sliver of moonlight fell across his pale throat, which was mere centimetres away from Aziraphale's lips. He realised if he leaned forward ever so slightly, he could press a kiss to the soft spots behind Crowley's ear. He felt a sudden urge to reach out, an urge to touch and grab and stroke and hold. Crowley was so close, so warm, and Aziraphale wanted to feel his bare skin against his own. The door opened with a click and a rusty hinged groan. Crowley moved away and settled back into the driver's seat as if nothing had happened. Nothing had, in fact, happened. He had simply opened a car door. But Aziraphale felt as if something monumental had occurred, a tectonic shift that had tipped his whole world onto its side. Crowley cocked his head to the side. You were right. Fine, Aziraphale insisted, just a touch too loudly. Everything's just tickety-boo. Thank you for the ride. He slid out of the car, shutting the door and hurrying to the hall without looking back. Back in his rooms, he collapsed onto the bed and stared intently at the ceiling. He could still see the pale patch of skin on Crowley's throat, still feel the after-effects of his body's visceral response to the proximity. There had been another moment like that once, when Aziraphale was about fourteen. He had been revising in the library with his friend Richard, whom he had known since primary school. They were laughing about something or other, and Richard had leaned over to tell him a secret. His breath had tickled the back of Aziraphale's neck, sending shivers down his spine. Aziraphale had become acutely aware of how close Richard was, how easy it would be to turn his head and capture his friend's lips with his own. He had panicked then, much as he had in the car with Crowley. He had dashed out of the library and avoided all of Richard's calls and attempts at conversation in the halls. The feeling had frightened him beyond all reason. He knew it was wrong to feel those things, and he had worried it meant that something deep inside him was wrong. 
and to be experiencing it again now, just as he was starting his seminary studies, was even more frightening. Although, now that he thought about it, perhaps his avoidance of Richard had been part of the problem. He hadn't allowed himself to process those thoughts the first time they occurred. He had just pushed them down and let them fester. It would make sense for them to resurface now, when he was spending hours every day praying and soul-searching. Scary stories always spoke of ghosts with unfinished business. Perhaps that incident in the library was his own spiritual unfinished business that he needed to attend to before he was truly ready to devote his life to God. Aziraphale chewed his lip as he considered this new perspective. By this logic, the answer to his problems now lay in not avoiding Crowley. An exposure therapy of sorts. If he spent more time around Crowley, he would be able to reassure himself that it had just been a fluke, a passing what-if that came from a place of banal curiosity and had no bearing on his character whatsoever. Sunlight is the best disinfectant, and only by confronting the problem head-on would he be able to finally put these silly, irrational fears to rest. So Aziraphale became a regular at the pub. He started coming in just before last call and would help Crowley clean and lock up before heading to a nearby 24-hour cafe. Crowley would order coffee and he would order a pastry and they would stay up talking into the wee hours of the morning. Crowley was quite intelligent and surprisingly well-versed on a variety of things – history, music, literature, philosophy, even theology. He had been raised Catholic, but left the church years before for undisclosed reasons. He felt at peace when he was with his new friend, and seeing him gave Aziraphale something to look forward to when he was having a particularly hard day at the hospital. Occasionally, the thoughts would return. Crowley would laugh in a certain way, or the light would catch his profile just so, and Aziraphale's stomach would flip but he tried not to let it upset him. It was just friendly fondness, he told himself. He had never had a friend like Crowley before, so of course it was going to feel a little different from all his other friendships. And if he occasionally wondered what it would be like to kiss Crowley, that was just because he was so worried about the idea of wanting to kiss him in the first place. He had gone to the library and checked out several psychology books, all of which said that intrusive thoughts were common for highly anxious people and that usually they meant nothing at all. So he chose not to read anything into it and allowed himself to just enjoy their budding friendship. But one day in late August, 
Aziraphale was called in to provide spiritual counsel for a family who had experienced an unspeakable horror, one which Aziraphale would never have dreamed even possible. Somehow he managed to keep himself together while he was with the family, offering them prayers and comfort and hugs. But as soon as he exited the main doors of the hospital, his body began to shake uncontrollably. The warm summer air wouldn't fit properly into his tight, cramped lungs, and his hands and feet had gone to pins and needles. He made his way to the pub with zero conscious effort, each foot raised and lowered itself out of pure memory alone. Right, left, right, left, right, left, right. He felt shell-shocked. No, not shell-shocked. An actual, physical mortar blast would have had less of an effect on him. This was something more, like his soul had become untethered from his body and left him nothing more than a soft, empty vessel. He struggled with the pub doors initially, finding that he had been drained of all his upper body strength. After about a minute, he managed to crack them open just enough to be able to slip his body inside. It was quieter than usual, which seemed like a small blessing as he made his way up to the bar. Crowley's face lit up as soon as he saw him. Aziraphale wasn't expecting to see you tonight. What's up? I... Aziraphale swallowed. I believe I could use a drink. Crowley took in Aziraphale's haggard expression, his wide eyes and still trembling frame and his face grew solemn. All right, everybody out, he hollered. Seriously, we're closed. Get the hell out of here. But it's only 8.30, one of the patrons cried. No, it's not. It's 11.30. You're just too drunk to tell time properly. Go home and sober up, mate, Crowley replied. After he had shepherded all of his patrons out, using a combination of bribery and sheer physical intimidation, he pulled out a bottle of whiskey and didn't stop pouring drinks until they were both well and truly soused. Aziraphale could count on one hand the number of times he had been drunk, and after a while he began to wonder why that was. He felt so much calmer, so much lighter. The events of the day faded into a tolerable blur, and he just felt warm and safe and sleepy. He must have nodded off for a few minutes, because the next thing he knew, he was being gently shaken awake by Crowley. Come on, Aziraphale, I'm gonna walk you home. Aziraphale pouted. Walk? Can't we take your car? Because I've been drinking too, remember? 
I know my car is rubbish, but I'm not looking to wrap it around a tree tonight. Fresh air will do you good too. He took Aziraphale by the hands and eased him out of the booth. <laughs> Aziraphale mumbled. He tried to take a step and stumbled, only to feel Crowley's arms wrap around his middle and catch him before he fell. Christ, you're a lightweight, he said. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, Crowley, Aziraphale said, though the slurring took all the weight from his admonishment. Deepest apologies, father. Crowley muttered, holding the front door open for him. He still had one arm wrapped around Aziraphale's waist, ostensibly for support. It was nice, Aziraphale thought. Being held by Crowley was nice. He didn't realize he'd spoken this thought out loud until he heard Crowley's soft laugh. <laughs> Yeah, can't say I mind it much either. Not exactly how I pictured it happening, but I'm not complaining. It took a solid minute for Crowley's words to register in Aziraphale's alcohol-riddled mind. He slowed to a stop, unable to continue walking while simultaneously processing the gravity of the situation. You... you've pictured holding me. Crowley's eyebrows knit together, and Aziraphale realized he wasn't wearing his sunglasses. It was a shame that he wore them so much. He had such lovely eyes. Uh, yeah, sort of. A little, lit. <clears throat> Crowley cleared his throat, suddenly nervous. Did you? Yes. Aziraphale was too stunned to realize he had just revealed his deepest secret. This wasn't happening. This couldn't be happening. Crowley's answering grin was warm and slightly bashful. He tipped his head forward. When had he gotten so close? And why had Aziraphale not noticed the arm that was still wrapped firmly around his waist and leaned in, gently brushing the tip of his nose against Aziraphale's? The delicate, tender touch sent a sharp shock through Aziraphale's system. Reality came crashing through the whiskey fog with a violent fury, shattering the spell of the moment. I know what's happening, he said slowly. Crowley paused, lips just shy of touching Aziraphale's. I should hope so, he murmured. Seems fairly obvious. Aziraphale took a small step back, detaching himself from Crowley's embrace. This is a test. What? 
You were sent to tempt me, to test my faith. Crowley choked out a laugh. <laughs> was I? Yes. Aziraphale's thoughts were still swimming, and it took significant effort to try to contain them. And it won't work. I am not going to give in to temptation. Crowley's smirk returned. Are you saying that I'm heaven-sent? He asked, batting his eyelashes. No, hell-sent. Aziraphale blinked several times, as if it might help bring his thoughts back into focus. Either way, it won't work. Are you so sure about that? Crowley's eyes were twinkling with equal parts mirth and mischief. He leaned forward and raised a calloused hand towards Aziraphale's face, eliciting a soft gasp from the other man. Crowley gently ran the pat of his thumb along Aziraphale's bottom lip once, twice, three times. The touch was so delicate, an act of intimacy like nothing Aziraphale had ever experienced before. He had never been so aroused in his life, so much so that he thought he might faint from it. But before he had time to react, Crowley dropped his hand and took a step back. Aziraphale found himself leaning forward as if to chase the warmth of the other man's thumb. Crowley laughed softly. <laughs> That's what I thought. He took another step back and shoved his hands in his pockets. Look, believe what you want, but I'm not trying to get you to do anything you don't want to do. I know it's not, well, priestly and all that. Just forget I said anything. It doesn't matter. Here, let me just get you a cab. Aziraphale swallowed hard. He thought this would be a triumphant moment, one where he would feel righteous and proud for having resisted temptation and shown that he was not a sinner. Instead, he just felt crestfallen and a bit queasy. Crowley flagged down a passing taxi and helped Aziraphale into the back seat. He started to close the door, then paused. Listen, he said, scrubbing a hand across the back of his neck. If you do ever decide that you want to... Be tempted. You know where to find me. His accompanying smile seemed playful, but it didn't quite reach his eyes. He shut the taxi door and stepped back onto the curb, leaving Aziraphale alone and more confused than ever.